Well, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you, invite you, urge you to open to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. If you don't have your Bibles, the words to Psalm 73 are provided as they are every week in uh, the bulletin that you received when you arrived. So whatever means necessary, whether it be your Bible, whether it be the bulletin, whether it be an app on your device, I encourage you to have Psalm 73 open in front of you as we um, enter into our time in examining and not only us examining God's Word, but God's Word by the power of the Holy Spirit of God examining us, Lord willing, and doing good work in our souls through His Word. So as we recognize that power and that wonder and that goodness of the gift of the preached God's word, preached word of God, not because of the preacher or me, but because of the power of God at work through his word, it is appropriate then that we now begin our time in his word in prayer. So let's pray together. God, as we open your word, we do ask your mercy to be upon us, your power to be at work within us, your Holy Spirit to do this work of shifting, of changing, of adjusting, of correcting, of consoling our hearts. Uh, of growing us ultimately in the grace of God through Jesus Christ as revealed and as glorified in your word. Lord, we pray specifically as we examine your word today that those in our church body who perhaps battle confusion in understanding your faith in light of the world around us or the faith that they believe in you in light of the world around us, may their hearts be mercifully cared for in seeing your glory and your power at work, and your goodness towards your people. Prepare us all, Lord, to live as faithful saints, faithful pilgrims on this journey towards our heavenly home by faithfully trusting in you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was growing up, back-to-school season was always just a little nerve-wracking for me. And I think that I'm probably not alone in that, uh, but there was always this sense of, okay, you wanted to fit in, you wanted to not stand out, you wanted to look cool, you wanted to have the latest shoes, the latest backpack, the latest clothes, and you just wanted everything to go smoothly. I remember one instance, and this is going to be terribly embarrassing for me to share with everyone, but I'll do it because I, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's what you pay me to do. That's uh, actually not what you pay me to do to embarrass myself, but it works. Um, it works. So when I was probably 11, 12, 13 years old, my best friend and next door neighbor uh, growing up, he and I camped out in a tent in his backyard uh, probably sometime a week or two before school started one year. And uh, we were starting at a new school. We were graduating up from like elementary to middle school. Now when I say middle school, it was still younger. Middle school down there started in sixth grade. So I guess I was going into sixth grade. That's what it was. Uh, so whatever age that is. Um, but we uh, were camping out in this tent and we were talking about, you know, how excited we were for school to get started and there were going to be girls there and all of that. And we, I kid you not, and this is the very embarrassing part, we practiced what we would say to try to like hit on girls 
Um, now it wasn't it wasn't like really I mean it is really embarrassing but it wasn't it, we weren't saying like the really cheesy things like uh, hey are you okay and the girl would say yeah why well because somebody as beautiful of you, as you must have fallen from heaven you know it wasn't like that it was more just like how do I go talk to a girl without totally embarrassing myself um, we didn't have many dates that year. Uh, the, the practice failed. Uh, but anyway, we wanted to not make a fool of ourselves in light of this new environment that we were going to be in at school. That's oftentimes the way a lot of kids, teenagers, navigate school life. Okay, just don't make a fool of yourself. But then sometimes that's not just something that exists just at the borders of school. Isn't that kind of how we go about life sometimes? Don't want to make a fool of ourselves, don't want to stand out, don't want to uh, embarrass ourselves in light of those around us. In fact, as Christians, in the world in which we live, in this non-religious, caught up in the moment, materialistic world, Sometimes we who as human beings have a natural instinct to not want to stand out recognize that as Christians by virtue of the beliefs that we hold and the things that we believe God's word reveals and makes clear, we recognize that we can't help but to stand out. Our Christian faith is exceptionally out of the ordinary and at times because it is so out of the ordinary it can become confusing for us. Perhaps you're the only Christian in your workplace, the only Christian in your extended family, maybe even the only Christian in your home, and it seems a little confusing or a little disorienting being around so many people who find your faith to be so odd. Well, what Psalm 73 shows us is that when our faith becomes confused, Not by those around us, but when we find ourselves confused in our faith, in our non-believing world, our confidence must be grounded in God's redeeming work. Let me say that again. When we are confused in the faith, because we are surrounded by our non-believing world, then our confidence must rest and rest alone in God's redeeming work. Follow along as I read from Psalm 73, the whole psalm, verses 1 through 28. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten opposition. They set their mouths against the heavens. And their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them. And find no fault in them. And they say. 
How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell all, tell of all your works. Brothers and sisters, may God write the eternal, life-changing, soul-strengthening truths of His Word upon our hearts this morning. So when we are confused in our world that does not know our God, What do we do? Well, Psalm 73 guides us through thinking this, thinking through this. It addresses our confused hearts. It brings us to a collision with the glory of God. And then lastly, it leads to confidence in God's good purposes. It addresses our confused hearts, brings us to collision with God's glory. And then gives us confidence in His redeeming work. First, our confused hearts in our non-believing world. We see in verses 1-15 through that the psalmist writing this, who was a guy named Asaph, he was confused. He was a worship leader. Historically, Asaph was a worship leader in Israel. He actually led worship choirs in the city of Jerusalem. But at the outset of Psalm 73, perhaps he was in his job as worship leader, but the journalings, the thoughts of his heart late at night were not particularly worshipful. The faith that he would lead in singing the church in, or in the people of God, seemed distant from the world that he lived in. Think of the Psalms. We've made our way through some of the Psalms throughout this summer. And think of them, a good way to try to understand the overall theme and the overall trajectory of the Psalms is like this. Imagine they are an open book. Like I have my Bible open right now. And Psalm 1 starts with 
an exhortation towards a right heart, towards right conduct. And it promises that if, if your heart, if your conduct is in this place, then God will bless you. But then soon thereafter, the Psalms follow a trend where the psalmist writes in this concern, in this confusion to God, I am trying to be obedient to you, but this blessing or, or the things in which, the way in which my life is going does not make sense in accord with the promises of your word. And so as the pages of the Psalms turn, what you eventually see is that um, what we see in Psalm 73, that as, as, as the pages turn, you see the psalmist wrestling with truths that show God's faithfulness, but show it in a way in which the experiences of this life can be difficult, yet God is there and he guides his people through to safe passage to the point where you reach the end of the Psalms, Psalm 150, and it is a psalm of unhindered, unbroken, absolute praise to God. And so that's a good way of understanding the Christian life. Perhaps you, in fact, became a Christian because it made logical sense or it made reasonable sense. And, uh, and, and there were ways in which the Christian faith was very appealing to you. And yet, as you've walked through the Christian life, you have actually found that experience has made following Christ all the more difficult than you ever imagined. Well, what Psalm 73 and what the Psalms show us as a whole is that that is not cause to turn away from the faith, but it is actually an example whereby, whereby we start to see the power and the work and the hand of God in us where he will lead us through those choppy waters of the experience of this life to the point where our hearts will sing in unhindered, unadulterated praise to God as we see his faithfulness time and time again. So Asaph, the road to obedience and the road from obedience to praise had become muddied. And as a servant of God, the world did not make much sense to him. In fact, look at it in verses one and two. In verses one and two, Asaph writes this this creed, this confession in verse one. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's a statement of truth, a statement, a good statement on the part of the people of God. But Asaph, wrestling with his own experience, writes in verses 2 and 3, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph, doing his best to try to serve God, looks around at a world that does not fear or know or serve God, and he says, frankly, it looks like they have it better than I do. As a Christian, have you ever felt that? Do you struggle with envy? towards those around you who are not Christians? I am not asking, be very clear, I am not asking do you struggle to believe the Christian message. You can believe every word on the pages of the Bible is true, yet your heart can still struggle and feel like following Christ is far more difficult than I anticipated. Even to the point that those around me who do not follow Christ, frankly it seems like they got an easier lot in life than I did. Perhaps that is something that you've struggled with before. Some of the things that we believe about humanity, about sexuality, about the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of life, sanctity of life for the unborn, these are out of step with our world around us. Even the claims of Christ upon our hearts, how obedience to Him reigns in priority over our calendars and over our bank accounts and over our dreams and plans for ourselves, these will be distinctly different from our non-believing world. 
And perhaps you feel like Asaph, you are trying to run a race of faithfulness, yet you feel as if you are running on one of those moving walkways at the airport going against it, and it is ramped up to the fastest speed possible. My son has little Thomas the Train engines that he enjoys playing with. I think he's playing with some right now even. And when he and I are playing with those Thomas the Train engines, we build the tracks, we put the trains together, and then we start to roll them. But inevitably, some of the trains, you start to roll the one at the front of the line, maybe one or two or three start to go, but others seem to, or others don't roll with it. And so we have to go look and carefully see that some of them, they're supposed to attach magnetically. Some of them, in fact, are not attached. They're sitting beside each other, but they have not been connected together. They look the part, but they are not moving in the same direction. Maybe that's where your heart is today. You are closely gathered together with other Christians in this moment, in this place today. And yet you feel as if maybe your heart is far away from your brothers and sisters in the faith. And yet also you consider those who are in your workplace, those whom you talk to while walking the dog, and you feel as if your convictions and your understanding of the world in which we live in is diametrically opposed to how they see the world as well. You feel as if you're in this no man's land between not understanding the Christian faith and your life experience and not understanding the world as you understand how the Christian faith speaks truth to the world. Listen to how Asaph describes those who do not know God, and yet they seem to be getting along fine in life. He writes in verses 4 and 5, they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. This is a question that has perplexed the people of God throughout the course of time. God, why does it seem as if those who do not know you prosper far more than we do at times? Well, Asaph actually serves us well here. One thing we must note from Asaph in verses 6 through 8 is that he does accurately understand the true condition of the hearts of those that he envies. Though he envies their lives, he understands their hearts. Look at verses 6 through 8. He seems to, Well, verses 4 and 5 seem to indicate that they think they've gotten a free pass in life. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. They're not in trouble as others are. So verses 6 through 8 describes their heart. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They do harm to others because they do not fear God. As a pastor, one of the great sorrows that I have is in seeing those who would profess the name of Christ and yet they would lead others to destruction. Spiritual and even life destruction supposedly in the name of Christ. I see it in regards to what God's Word teaches about all sorts of hot-button issues of our day, marriage, sexuality, what it means to be created by God and in the image of God. 
People who are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And yet there are some on the other side of the coin, if that is the more dangerous end of the coin liberally, conservatively, relatively speaking, there are other dangers there as well. There are some who profess and uphold good and sound theology, yet they teach an easy grace. They teach a message of believing the right things intellectually, yet not a message of taking up one's cross and following Christ, whatever that may cost. And Asaph, describing those who are working out this wickedness, describes these who, who look at verses 9 and 10, they set their mouths against heaven. Their tongues strut through earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. Do you see what Asaph is saying there? These who are wicked, they do such harm that they lead the people of God or those who seem to be near to the people of God, they lead them away from God with their lies and with their treachery. And they say to themselves, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. And then summing up this confusion of his heart. A heart that believes in God, yet is troubled by the world in which he is in. Asaph says in verses 13 and 14, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. And yet for all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. I've said this a number of times before, but it bears repeating again in light of Psalm 73 and in light of the confusing day and age in which we find ourselves. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and somebody who was initially maybe out of absolute good motives, but was telling you about what it meant to follow Christ and made it the road sound as if it would be peaceful and calm and answer all the questions that you had about life. I'm sorry, but they were wrong. In one sense, the Christian faith does answer the great questions about life and the way in which we understand the world that we find ourselves and the way in which we understand history and times and people and even our own hearts and we're even going to see that as rest away through psalm 73 but make no mistake the the christian faith for all the great answers that it supplies us for all the great satisfaction that we find in christ in the deepest reaches of our hearts the christian faith in some senses makes life in this world all the more difficult and here's why like the illustration i used earlier of trying to run against a Uh, moving walkway that is going the other direction we live in a world where everyone is driving one way down the road and it is as if we are trying to dodge traffic and go the other way there are going to be hardships and trials and turmoil in our lives as we seek to faithfully follow christ in the midst of a world that denies him and so the question that we find ourselves wrestling with is how does my heart respond when i find myself in the midst of that world that denies him. And I even find myself saying, God, I'm trying here. I am keeping my heart free, free from evil. And yet all the day long, I am stricken and rebuked every morning. And perhaps you would even say you can resonate with verse 15 where Asaph says uh, that he maybe even would have departed from this faith if not for those who would come after him. 
Listen to the writings of the worship leader of the people in Jerusalem saying, I might have, I w- if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Asaph is in one sense saying, I believe the message of God to be true, but my experience makes it hard for me to understand it myself. I know this is something that resonates with all of our hearts. It's something that's resonated with my heart pastorally. I shared an embarrassing story about myself at the outset of our sermon. Now I'll share something that's even just painful. There have been times where I have spoken with other Christians and they have just said, in counseling sessions or in conversations, they've just remarked that it seems as if sometimes the promises of God apply to other Christians, but they just don't experience them themselves. And pastorally, if I can be honest, vulnerable with you, there have been times where I have counseled people from God's Word, and I was walking through some kind of hardship or turmoil in my own heart, and the literal counsel I'm giving somebody as we sit in an office or sit down over coffee, and the things I'm trying to comfort and encourage them with from God's Word, I have wrestled in my own heart and felt like, I struggle to believe this myself. And perhaps even this hard morning, this difficult week, I wrestle with understanding whether or not I believe it. Not whether or not I believe Christianity, but do I believe in God's goodness and His love for me right now that I'm telling this one about? And I've realized that in my own experience, as well as in conversations with others over the course of time, over the course of years, ASAP has a condition that all of us probably experience at various times in our lives. The promises of God to us as the people of God don't make sense in the world that does not know God. Many times those who are not Christians couch their unbelief in God in philosophical or logical or scientific reasons to reject the faith. And there are some who reject the faith for those reasons. I believe they're misguided, misled. I believe Christianity is logically, philosophically, scientifically uh, verifiable and valuable. But if I'm honest, I think far more prevalently those who use that kind of language to deny their belief in God actually reject Him on a more baseline, emotional, psychological level where they have a hard time reconciling a God who they hear about with a world that they know. So what's the answer for that? Maybe that's where you find yourself at today. Christianity I know, or the Christianity I think I know, is not compatible with the world that I do know. Let me try to illustrate how I think we can help think through and understand this. I've half-heartedly tried to get into Star Wars before, and I've struggled. It just doesn't float my boat. There are others who, I mean, the next Star Wars movie that could be due out in 2028, they've already got that date and. December of 2028 on their calendar and they're going to be at the movie that night and they've already bought their tickets even. That's just not me. I don't even know how many Star Wars movies there are. Neil, how many Star Wars movies are there? Eight? Okay. I think there's more than eight. Nine. Is that counting like the middle ones? Like, like, 
like Rogue One? No. Okay, so let's say there's 10 or 12. Neil, you failed me there. Um, Let's say there's 10 or 12 Star Wars movies. I've seen maybe two or three. When I'm watching the two or three that I have seen, and I'm sitting with people that know Star Wars a lot better than I do, I find that they're just more engaged. It all makes sense more. There are plot twists. There are characters that come on the scene that I just don't really know a lot about. There are deaths of characters. I'm going to try not to spoil anything for you guys. But there are deaths of characters that I'm like, oh, that's unfortunate. And everybody else is saying, oh, that is devastating. That totally changes our understanding of the whole movie. And it just doesn't register to me because I've only seen one or two or three of them. What you need, what we need as our faith does not make sense in this world, or even as you try to understand a Christianity that doesn't make sense to you, Maybe it doesn't make sense to you because you're familiar with 10, 20% of the overall story. And what we need is not to check out and walk away, but what we need is to engage more and seek to understand the totality of the whole Christian worldview and the totality of the Christian understanding of reality and of time and of history and where this all has been and where this all is going and how it understands where we are today. So I don't get to stick my head in the sand and say, ah, Star Wars doesn't make sense, I'm walking away. Somebody that it does make sense, they say, well, you need to see a little more of it. That's what Asaph gets here as we get to the second point in our sermon. Asaph, who was confused in verses 1 through 15, now he collides with God in his glory in verses 16 and 17. Listen to this. Asaph says, when I sought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. See, what Asaph finds is he doesn't understand the world and those around him until he sees God and starts to understand what God is doing. Then he, dis- then he discerns and understands the world around him. And so we have a problem here where oftentimes in our confusion, what we can find is that our experience is placed in a position of authority over what, we, what our belief is, what the Bible teaches us. And what Asaph is showing us that is that our belief and what the Bible teaches, what the Bible shows us, needs to be placed in, experience, in authority over our experiences. Do you see that? How, how these two different things can shape how we understand Christianity, how we understand ourselves, and, and the state of our souls, the state of our hearts, the state of our hope in this world that can be confusing to us. Either experience will lead us to despair over our belief, or belief will lead us to assurance in light of our experience. Does that make sense? Following along? Okay. Sadly, the helicopter crash that took the life of Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven other individuals, it was sadly, tragically avoidable. If you remember the details of that crash, the pilot of the helicopter became disoriented in heavy cloud cover and foggy conditions. And the last records of of that helicopter crash, the pilot was ascending, but in all the spatial disorientation, he was climbing up, and then he thought he became disoriented in some way, and then plunged down, and the helicopter crashed. The sad reality is that the helicopter that was ascending, he was only a couple hundred feet through breaking through the clouds and getting above them, and then he would have become more oriented, or he would have regained his orientation and known where he was. The world around us that mocks, that rejects, that ridicules, that makes it difficult for you in your estimation to faithfully serve our God. The world around us that makes obedience to Christ a difficult thing to follow. 
We can lose our orientation and even make shipwreck or crash of our faith if we will not, in God's Word, rise above the clouds and have that greater understanding. This is what Asaph has. Look at him, 16. It seemed to me a wearisome task understanding this. And then he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God. It is there that Asaph understands. See, the Bible presents us with a true understanding of reality that says, yes, the wicked do prosper from time to time. Those who are on top of the world are not necessarily the most virtuous, the most righteous, or the most deserving. And those who are not on top, those who are on the bottom, are not the most vile and immoral necessarily. In fact, the Bible speaks to matters of injustice and abuse, page after page after page, of, of the rich taking advantage of the poor, of, of, of the, the powerful taking advantage of the weak, of, 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 the, of, of, of those who um, domineer over people, taking advantage of, of those who are under their charge. And the Bible doesn't just write of this repeatedly because the authors of the Bible have a hobby, had a hobby horse. The Bible writes of it repeatedly because these are the kinds of things that are prevalent and frequent in our world. But what the Bible does and where we get disoriented, the Bible reminds us that God sees, God knows, and God responds to the wicked and to those who mock His name in this life. Though they may think, as we saw in verses 4-6, through six, that they can escape justice in this life, Asaph he beheld God in his sanctuary, and as verse 17 says, he discerned their end. You see, what the gospel does, what we do when we behold God in the power of the gospel, is that it helps us with our understanding of reality. It gives us an understanding of reality that is not divorced from God, but actually understands the work of God where Jesus Christ, who reigns over this world and sees all and will hold all to account in perfect justice and righteousness, Jesus Christ came and he came uh, as... Uh, uh, he took on flesh and he endured the suffering, the hardship, the mistreatment, the injustice at the hands of those who would seek his harm and his end. And yet he rose victorious over that sin and over that death that those committed against him. And therefore, our hope and our understanding, the way in which we discern our end in this confusing world is recognizing Jesus Christ who reigns over us, Jesus Christ who walks alongside us, and Jesus Christ who guides and carries us and promises us that he will bring us to himself. And this is a truth that our world must know. Culturally, we actively, we actively seek to deny topics that force us to what, wrestle with the brevity of life and our, and our destiny as individuals, as human beings. If, I go for, if my family and I go for a walk today and we come upon our neighbors out walking their dog, it would be very taboo for me to say, hey, what do you think of death? You given much thought to that lately? We hide conversations about it. We even hide away those who are nearing death. Oftentimes putting them out of sight. And I would be remiss if I did not point out that the place where Asaph got his bearings was amongst the people of God. Author and Bible teacher Michael Wilcock wrote the following about verse 17. The fact is that the temple was where God called his people to meet with him and, and to meet with one another, to hear his word and to respond in praise and prayer and in offering. 
In that God-centered fellowship, each is at the service of the rest, and each is attentive and obedient to what God says to all. The church, like today, like the temple in former days, should provide a fellowship, and there the things that puzzle and confuse begin to fall in place, even if we do not get the answers that we were asking for. Do you recognize, dear Christian, dear confused Christian, that the church is where we find our sanity? We literally sing of a reality that our world denies. We pray to a God who we believe in, who is actively at work and concerned with every fabric of our being and every moment of our days. We listen to a word that some people say is dead or is irrelevant or is meaningless or pointless, and we sit under it believing that it is words of life. What our confused hearts need is the comfort of the gathering of one another. And so Asaph, with his confused heart, had this collision with the glory of God, which leads lastly to a confidence in God's purposes in verses 18 to 28. After having previously noted that he wasn't sure if anything would come upon those who did evil, who prospered as Asaph saw them, he now sees what their end would be after seeing God in his sanctuary. You saw verse 1 starts with, truly God is this. And now Asaph begins a new statement of belief a new creedal or confession statement in verse 18. Truly you set them, talking about those who seem to be skating by in this life, he says, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. Swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. This is a staggering truth. For those who are not in Christ, for those who are not Christians, this life is as close as they will get to heaven. For those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who are Christians, this life is as close as we will get to hell. Do you see this description in verses 18 and 20? God is is awakened, He is roused, and this must stir our hearts towards evangelism, towards sharing the hope of the gospel with those who do not know God. Is it starting to rain? We're going to have to get the electrical equipment inside. So, I'm going to invite people to go ahead and come move these things. And I will just conclude by saying, brothers or sisters, listen to the words of Asaph in verses 25 and 26 who was confused and yet gained greater understanding. And he writes, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's conclude in prayer. God, we pray that you would give us right orientation in confusing days. And we pray this, that you would give us hope in Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen. What a strange way to end a service, right? I had another like 45 minutes to go.